Today on the Matt Wall Show, a man who'd already been arrested 41 times in New York City is arrested again for violent assault. We know that leftist DAs are allergic to punishing violent criminals, but why is the left so determined to enable and spread crime and anarchy? Uh, I think I know why, and I'll explain. Also, the Biden administration mulls its options as the student loan pause nears its expiration date. A Christian private school causes outrage by instating Christian policies and rules. If you can imagine that. Brian Stelter has his final emotional tragic show with CNN. And we're told that a new trend is taking the workforce by storm. It's called quiet quitting. What is it? And is it as stupid as it sounds? We'll discuss all of that and more today on The Matt Wall Show. Well, the consumer price index has reached yet another 40-year high, and the latest GDP numbers confirm that the United States is in a recession, despite the fact that our current administration is trying to redefine what recession means. During the 2007 recession, Washington Mutual, Lehman Brothers, Chrysler, multiple blue chip stocks went down to zero overnight. Could that happen again? If so, how confident are you that your savings are protected? Now is not the time to have all your money in the stock market or tied to the U.S. dollar. Take action to protect your savings from a highly turbulent economy now by diversifying at least some of your investment portfolio into gold and silver from Birch Gold Group. Text Walsh to 989898 and Birch Gold will send you a free information kit on how to transition an IRA or eligible 401k into an IRA in precious metals. Birch Gold will even help you hold gold in a tax-sheltered account. For decades, investors have relied on gold and silver as a hedge against inflation. Now you can do the same with an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of satisfied customers. Secure your future with gold from Birch Gold now. Text Walsh to 989898 and get help from uh, Birch Gold today. Again, text Walsh to 989898 to claim your free, no-obligation information kit on how to protect your hard-earned savings with gold. Last week, a man named Alexander Wright showed up at a subway station in New York City and began harassing other patrons. A, a subway worker witnessed Wright accosting people and tried to intervene. Wright then walked up to him and punched him in the head. Then the victim tried to run away but was grabbed and thrown to the ground. Uh, the assailant was later then arrested. It was, for Alexander Wright, the 42nd arrest. He had already been arrested 41 times before this. Many of those arrests were for acts of violence even more brutal than his attack on the subway employee. Just last year, Wright was caught on camera randomly punching an Asian woman in the head as she walked by, knocking her to the ground. Now, it's not that difficult to kill somebody with one punch to the head, especially if they're not expecting it, and especially when you're so much bigger and stronger than your victim. Fortunately, though, the victim survived. Wright was uh, hit with hate crime and, and also assault charges, other charges too, and yet he was back on the street almost immediately. A month before that assault on the Asian woman, he had been charged with assault for throwing a hot coffee on two traffic cops. So to summarize, this man has been walking the streets of New York City for years, viciously assaulting and brutalizing pedestrians. The system is aware of him. They know that he's out there. They, they know what he will do to people. Uh, they know he'll never stop. And yet they allow him to remain on the streets. His freedom is worth the cost, they've decided even if the cost is the physical safety of innocent people. Now, there are, of course, many such cases. Our cities are full of Alexander Wrights, and they're not just terrorizing the poor areas anymore. As the Daily Wire reports today, lawlessness abounds across New York City neighborhoods like the West Village and Greenwich Village, which have seen the largest spike in crime this year out of the five boroughs, according to the latest New York City Police Department report published last week. Compared to the crime stats from the same time last year, Manhattan's 6th Precinct saw an 80% increase in overall significant crimes, with burglaries up 119% and grand larcenies up more than 100%. Business owners and residents have spoken to media outlets, airing their frustrations over the lack of law and order in a neighborhood that draws celebrity sightings, historic brownstones, and gentrified taquerias on roofs amid the fashion and art scene. Um, Jama Alsner, who owns Village Revival Records in Greenwich Village, told CBS2 he rarely calls the police anymore because anything seems to go these days. According to the latest data, other crime statistics show car thefts are up 39%, robberies reach up to 45%, and uh, rapes are up nearly 43%. Now, this trend holds up across the country as the violence from the inner city bleeds further and further out into the areas that were once considered safe. Now, you might think that this would be enough to finally spur some change and maybe a little bit of a revival of law and order. 
now that the urbanite liberals who support the policies that have caused this anarchy are finally being made to reap what they've sown, perhaps things will change. But that seems unlikely because they're still leftists. And leftism at this point is hopelessly nihilistic, deluded, destructive, and utterly severed from reality. As long as the cities are run by this suicidal ideology, things will just not get better. Crime is a, among other things, a practical problem, and leftists, floating as they are in an alternative universe, are not capable of solving any practical problems in this universe whatsoever. Least of all, a practical problem like crime, because it has some not as practical dimensions to it, which we'll get to in a second. Anna Kasparian over at uh, the Young Turks is, is learning this lesson about the left the hard way. In a fascinating career shift, Kasparian has recently tried her hand at something very new and novel for her. She's tried making logical points specifically on the issue of crime. She has in recent days ever so gingerly dipped her toe into the waters of logic and reason, but she's discovering that she can't wade into those depths without alienating herself from her leftist comrades. That's why she's been getting into a lot of trouble on the left for saying things like this. Listen to this. I don't know, maybe I'm crazy. I don't believe in the death penalty. But I would say that if you uh, murder someone and you have spent time in a facility, in a prison that does not rehabilitate because that's what our prisons are. It's very unlikely that you're rehabilitated and just releasing you into the world with no rehabilitation, bad idea, bad idea. More than 63,000 inmates convicted of violent crimes will be eligible for good behavior credits that shorten their sentences by one third instead of one fifth that had been in place since 2017. That includes nearly 20,000 inmates who are serving life sentences with the possibility of parole. Keep in mind, by the way, we don't even know how these good credits are determined. There's really no specificity there. More than 10,000 inmates convicted of a second serious but nonviolent offense under the state's three strikes law will be eligible for release after serving half their sentences. That's an increase from the current time served credit of one third of their sentence. And if you think that, no, come on, Anna, they're just, they're not releasing violent criminals, even though the reports indicate they are, they're just, this is all about nonviolent individuals. No, actually, a much smaller portion of the individuals who have been released from California state prisons are nonviolent offenders. Well, so you mean that you mean that if you release violent criminals out into society, you're going to end up with more violent crime in society. Next you're going to tell me that if you pour water into a cup, you'll end up with water in a cup. You know, these sorts of claims may not seem terribly shocking to you and I, but on the left such talk is verboten. Kasparian has been getting pilloried for even the most tepid suggestion that perhaps our laws against violent crime should be enforced. A reporter for, uh, for Rolling Stone was among the leftists taking her to task, and Kasparian responded, referencing the Alexander Wright case, saying, this is a man who was arrested 41 times. After this incident, he was released and went on to send a subway worker to the hospital with a broken collarbone. But according to this crime reporter, the man committing assault slash breaking bones is the real victim. Well, yeah, Anna, welcome to the left. Been there for a while. Should have noticed this by now. The responses under her tweet show you how far, how far gone the left is on this topic and on any other topic, of course. Reading just a few, uh, someone says, you can debate whether or not a 49-year-old mentally ill homeless man is a victim. But there's not a lot of evidence that sending him to Rikers, where most people are pre-trial and so legally innocent, is a solution that improves public safety. Another person says, I think the issue is that your position shouldn't just boil down to this guy sucks punishment. That doesn't help anyone. It's not constructive and shouldn't be a conclusion made on a program that positions itself on the left. Another person says, I don't know the details of this particular case, but what, you're, what are you trying to achieve with this narrative? The public hears enough dishonest fear-mongering about crime. Left slash alt media should offer something different, such as exploring root causes of crime. And another person more to the point says, you should feel a deep sense of shame, Anna. Yes, Anna should feel ashamed 
Well, she probably should feel ashamed of a lot of things, but but should she feel ashamed of suggesting that perhaps after 40 arrests, it might be time to put somebody in jail for longer than 15 minutes? Perhaps we could adopt a 40 strikes and you're out rule. Can we do that? 40 strikes? No, because even that would be offensive to the left. They see no evidence that the public is made safer when violent criminals are kept in prison. They see no evidence. There's no evidence to them that you are safer from a violent criminal when he's behind bars as opposed to if he was like right in front of you. There's no evidence that one is safer than the other. They presumably also see no evidence that patrons at the zoo are made safer when the door to the lion's cage is closed and locked as opposed to open. It's totally neutral either way. If they were at the zoo and the zookeeper said, you guys want this open or closed? You care? But whatever, it doesn't matter. What difference does it make? There's literally no difference between looking at a lion when he's in a cage and confronting him out in the open with nothing between the two of you. No difference. This is the delusion that permeates the left. So I thought I would try to help our friend Anna um, understand why she's getting this reaction from her own compatriots and why anybody on the left, any Democrat who, and very few of them ever do, but every once in a while, one of them will say something like this. Hey, you know, maybe this violent crime thing is a little bit of a problem. And they just get devoured by the piranhas. And, And let me try to help you understand why that is. Now, part of it is the delusional nature of modern leftism, as we've already discussed. This is what makes leftist political leaders totally incapable of providing actual leadership. Their ideology requires them to live and think as though they've been transported through a portal into an alternate dimension. And in this dimension, the usual rules of life and the laws of physics and everything else don't apply. Here in this alternate dimension, men can have babies, babies aren't people, and many other bizarre occurrences become commonplace. Even the laws of cause and effect no longer apply. Releasing a violent criminal from prison has nothing to do with the fact that the violent criminal was then enabled to violently victimize someone else. Even if he'd still been in prison, the same event may have occurred, they say. Now, this makes no sense in reality when you understand cause and effect, but these people are not living in reality. But there's a deeper point here also. And this is the, this is the part that I want everyone to focus on, especially Anna. You know, ironically, these people who call, who we call social justice warriors, and I don't like that phrase, and this is why, because they actually have no concept of justice at all. It's kind of like we talk about virtue signaling, but the people that are signaling their virtue are signaling the opposite of virtue. It's like most of what we call virtue signaling is actually vice signaling. So most of what we call social justice, you know, is, is actually, the, it's anti-justice. It's the opposite of justice. It's the absence of justice. After all, putting violent criminals in prison is not just a matter of keeping people safe. It's also a demand of justice. And most normal and healthy people have an innate sense of justice. Okay? They see a man randomly assaulting a woman as she walks down the street And they want him to be punished severely for his crimes. That's not vengeance. It's not bloodlust. It is justice. Okay. They see that action as one that cries out for a response. The scales have been tipped out of balance and they must be righted. There must be justice. Even if it were possible to keep society safe from this man without punishing him, a normal person would still want him punished. You want him to experience some measure of suffering for his crime. Yes, that is just. You actually want him to suffer. And if you care about justice, and also if you actually have love and compassion for the victim, which is another thing that doesn't exist on the left, as much as they talk about compassion and love, there's none of that. It's indifference. But if you actually have compassion for the victim, you want that other guy to suffer. Because that is justice. Justice is a virtue. It's a cardinal virtue. It is, in fact, the most important virtue of all. You can't have any other virtue without justice. And it is what ensures that an individual is given what they are due. Okay, I think that would be the definition of what is justice. That's the definition. It is giving an individual what they are due. To enact justice is to give to a person 
what properly belongs to him. And what properly belongs to an innocent person walking down the street is protection from violent scumbags like Alexander Wright. But what properly belongs to Alexander Wright is a cage. He should be punished because that is what he is due. That is what he is owed. That is the treatment which naturally and properly belongs to him because of his own actions and because of the sort of person he has chosen to be. This is something that, again, doesn't need to be explained to the average person. The average person, you ask him, what is justice? Just like if you ask him, what is a woman? They may be stumped by the question only because the answer is so obvious they haven't even had to think about it. But that is what justice is. And unless you are fighting for that, then you're not fighting for justice. Now let's get to our five headlines. Did you know that more than half of American citizens do not have a will? What many people fail to understand is that a will is about so much more than protecting your assets. You've heard me talk a lot about this um, subject on my show, about how the left is coming after your kids they're, they're, you know, through the public school system, through mainstream kids' content. The list goes on. As a parent, you may be doing everything you can to protect your child from the left's not-so-secret agenda. But if you don't have a will in place, designating who will take, take over as parental guardian should something happen to you, then the state will intervene and all of that work is wasted. If you're watching this show, I'll wager a bet that you don't want the state making those decisions for you. That's why you need to check out Epic Will. Epic Will is an online will platform that costs less than your next trip to the store. They can set you up with a will in as little as five minutes. Plus, uh, it's all starting at $119. And you can save 10% when you go to epicwill.com and use code Walsh. Take five minutes tonight to write a will ensuring that your kids will be raised the way you would have intended in the event that something should happen to you. Go to epicwill.com and use my code Walsh today to save 10%. Now, before we get to the headlines, uh, I need to update you on my latest marital battle. Um, so I decided that I wanted to take my two boys away for a weekend fishing trip, come up here in a few weeks. And my wife is totally supportive of that. Actually, she's, she's maybe a little bit too supportive. Because I, 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 I said to her, hey, I, w- I wanted to take the two boys away. For- yep, sounds good. Definitely, you guys should go, 100%. So she was pretty enthusiastic about, about us being gone for whatever reason. But then I um, started thinking about the details of the trip and, and, and what I wanted to do. And I decided that I'd really like to take to, to have a more sort of a rustic experience with the kids. And I started looking for a very simple kind of cabin in the woods somewhere with water nearby. You know, I, if, whether it's on water, we have to walk to it or, or drive to it or whatever. And I found this. This is real. This is actually for rent. I found this, this, uh, this thing. I put it up on the screen. Um, I asked for a rustic cabin, and this is what I found. Um, and this is this is like it's a it's a cab. It's basically a shed. It's someone's renting out their shed, and uh, but there's a lot of privacy. It's like they said they said in the listing, there's a lot of privacy because it's out, it's in the woods somewhere, and uh, and it's about it's about like 200 square feet, and there's a tarp for a roof, and there's no bed, there's no furniture of any kind, there's no electricity, no water, nothing. And so I'm. I showed this to my wife. I was excited about it. I said, "This is the kids will boys will love this." And I showed it to my wife, and she was horrified. She was looked at me like I was a, an insane person. But then, this just shows you. You know, this this shows you the inherent differences between men and women. Because my wife was horrified by it. She said, "There's no way you can take my my precious sweet baby boys and put them in that for a weekend. I'm not going to allow it." But then, just to get a second opinion, I called my boys in and showed them this and they were stoked. I mean, they could not have been more excited to spend three days in that thing. And I even told, I told my son, I said, you know, um, there's like definitely probably snakes in this thing. And he said, well, that's okay, daddy. We can kill them and eat them. That's the spirit. Okay. When life gives you snakes, make some dinner. That's the spirit you want to, I think, imbue into your, into your boys. I don't know. I did find another place that's still a very small cabin in the woods, but significantly nicer than that and a little bit less serial killer-y. But my heart keeps coming back to that. It's just, it's calling my name. And if you stay in that cabin, you'll probably hear all kinds of things calling to you outside in the, in the, in the woods at night. But it's an adventure. Um, all right. So we'll start with this. Daily Wire reports, Education Secretary Miguel Cardona said Sunday that the Biden administration would announce in the next 10 days 
whether or not the nationwide pause on federal student loan payments and interest accrual that went into effect two and a half years ago would extend or expire. During an appearance on NBC's Meet the Press, Cardona told um, host Chuck Todd that the administration knows many people are waiting to hear something about the August 31st deadline. And he said in the next 10 days, they're going to announce something. Now, let me take a, a guess here, just a wild, crazy guess, that the Democrats are not going to let the pause expire a few months before the midterms. This, Like I said, it's a shot in the dark, but I'm going to guess that they're going to come back and announce something because they're not going to let it pause right before the, right before the midterms. And I don't think we need to spend much time talking about student loan forgiveness as an issue. You know how I feel about the subject. We've talked about it many times. We'll talk about it in the future. Um, but I want to just add one thing, because I was thinking about this yesterday. Is that, is that actually, it, it seems to me, and I'm not in favor of loan forgiveness of any kind, okay? I'm in favor of, because I'm, old, I'm old-fashioned, as you know. And what I believe is that you pay your debts. You pay your debts. You agree to pay something, you pay it back. That's how, that's how I look at it. Very simple. But it does occur to me that actually of all the different types of debt that people deal with, in many ways, student loan debt makes the least sense to forgive. It should be the last type of debt that we talk about forgiving rather than being the first and only type of debt we talk about forgiving. I mean, mortgages, car loans, even credit card debt, these are all things that working class people deal with. Student loan debt is largely an upper class problem. Half of the debt, or around half, is held by graduate students, okay? And it's, ex- it's exactly, though, that kind of debt that we're forgiving. And it's exactly the kind of debt that poorer people have to deal with that we aren't talking about forgiving. Now, the reason often given for this is that uh, student loan debt can't be discharged in bankruptcy. And it kind of makes sense, actually, in a way, why you can't discharge it in bankruptcy. I mean, for one thing, um, you know, a, a, a loan or a, a degree cannot be repossessed. You can't take it back from you. So it can't be discharged in bankruptcy. And so that's one of the reasons they say, well, you know, that's why, we, that's why we're treating this as a special thing. That, to me, seems a pretty weak justification for the inordinate amount of attention given to it. Not to mention just the the inordinate amount of sympathy that we're supposed to have for people with student loan debt while having no sympathy at all for all the other kinds of people. Many of them don't have college degrees. Many uh, many, uh, have, have, you know, on average, incomes much lower than the average college graduate. And they're, they're, they're swimming in debt, a lot of them. Totally ignore the problem. All right, we'll move to this. So the uh, prime minister of Finland, Sanna Marin is her name, has been taking heat after video of her partying went viral. And this is something that she does a lot, apparently. She likes to go out clubbing. She heads out onto the town. I think if I'm remembering correctly, I think it was this prime minister who like went missing for a, a, a day or two because she was out partying and forgot her phone or something like that. And um, anyway, here's the video that was on that I guess they posted on Instagram or something. We'll, we'll play this video. All right. Okay, we cut out of that. Okay, so there she is having a great time at the club partying. Um, there's been a, she's gotten a lot of there's been a lot of criticism, a lot of discussion about this, and uh, she finally responded to some of the criticisms that w- we'll play this and, and I'll have to translate because you know she's speaking a foreign language, but I actually know Finnish, so I'll translate this for you. But we'll go ahead and play the the clip. What do you think these party videos show? These videos are private and filmed in a private space, she says. I resent that these became known to the public. What? You posted them. I spent a night with my friends. We just partied, also in a boisterous way. I danced and sang. I represent a younger generation. Oh, she's speaking English now. Okay. I think... But I'm an individual, a person, a real person also, even though I'm a prime minister. 
So I won't change uh, the way I behave. Uh, of course, oh, of course I have to be careful what I say because it can be uh, represented as the whole government. Uh, but I'm still a person and I will be in the Oh, you're a person. Also. Okay, that's good. That is the laziest justification for behavior in general. Someone's asking why you behave. Well, I'm a person. Well, yeah, I know. But you're a person who did this particular thing. Lots of other people don't do that. So can you explain a little bit more? Well, I'm just a person. She says she resents that it ended up on social media. You're dancing in front of a video. It's like someone has their phone out and you're dancing in front of it, looking right into the camera. I resent that this video I'm taking right now exists. I resent this. Now, this has led to a whole annoying discourse. There's nothing worse than a discourse in our country. And uh, this discourse in particular is pretty bad. It's a discourse about whether um, prime ministers have the right to party. And the AP actually asks this specifically in, in an article. Headline, does a prime minister have a right to party? Now, we know the Beastie Boys. We know how they would answer. They would say, if you fight for it, you have the right to it. But this is what the AP says. In a leaked video, Finland's prime minister, Sanna Marin, is seen dancing and singing with friends at a private party. The 36-year-old leader poses for the camera. She sits on her knees, hands behind her head. She's entangled in a group hug. She's having a good time. Countless similar videos are shared daily on social media by young and not-so-young people partying in Finland and all over the world. But the leak has triggered a, a debate among Finns about what level of reveling is appropriate for a prime minister, especially considering neighboring Russia's attack on Ukraine, which prompted long-neutral Finland and Sweden to apply for NATO membership. Marin, who leads the center-left Social Democratic Party, has faced a barrage of questions about the party. Were there drugs? Was there alcohol? Was she working or on summer vacation? Was the prime minister sober enough to handle an emergency? Had one arisen? The video, clearly shot by someone at the party, was leaked on social media and caught the attention of Finnish media this week. Okay. So I just want to make a couple points about this very briefly. First of all, prime minister or not, you're too old to be out at clubs and that sort of thing when you're 36. Anyway, it doesn't matter if you're prime minister. I, even if she wasn't, even if she just worked at Starbucks or something, she was like assistant manager at Starbucks, I would say, yeah, yeah, you're a little too old for that. I'm 36. Okay, so we're the same age. At 36, you should be home with your family. Okay, you, you could go out for a date night with your spouse. Uh, you could also go out with friends on occasion. But people are talking about this woman and excusing it like, oh, she's young, just doing what young people... No, she's not that young, actually. You're 36. It's not that young. It's, you're middle-aged. That's, that's what you are. You, you are officially... You, you don't really count as a young adult anymore. You're, you're middle-aged. You're getting older. And so, especially at 36, you should, be, you should be at the age now where you walk into a place and not only are you not dancing to that music, but you're complaining that it's too loud. I'm officially at the age where everywhere I go, the music is too loud. And I have to make a comment about how loud the music is. That is what makes sense for a 36-year-old to begin with. Second, she is the prime minister. And I get that it's just Finland and there's like five people that live there. But, but even so, this to me is part of a, of a larger problem with political leaders in general and this sort of lack of, of seriousness. Um, we're not being led by serious people. And there used to be this concept called just dignity among our leaders. There used to be a concept called dignity that we tried to apply to all adults and everybody in general. Which, again, is another reason why that would stop, you know, even if you're not prime minister, it should stop you from being a 36-year-old woman making videos like that. But even so, especially if you're a leader, we expect even more dignity. And, and what does dignity mean? Okay, dignity doesn't mean, sometimes I think dignity gets a bad rap these days, and especially because it's, it's often appropriated by political leaders, especially cons like, like Republicans will use this. The, the squishiest Republicans will use dignity as their excuse for being squishy. So dignity has become somehow a synonym for like cowardice or lack of conviction. These, they don't want to fight hard for what they supposedly believe in and they use dignity, oh, because I'm dignified. No, no, no. You, you, you can still be dignified and fight for what's right. That's part of dignity, actually. But what dignity means is it's, it, dignity is about a seriousness of purpose. That, that's what that is. It's about maturity 
growth and a seriousness of purpose. And we used to expect that of, of elected leaders in Finland and everywhere else across the Western world, and we don't anymore. I mean, you've got, uh, what's his name, in, in, uh, in Pennsylvania, the Senate race. So there's not a lot of dignity on either side of, the, of that race. But uh, Fetterman, you know, have you seen this guy, this guy walking around with like jean shorts and a, and a hoodie? You're running for the Senate. And this is how you're dressing? This is how you're talking to people? I'm just uh, I'm just being a common, like being a regular person. No, but no, you're not, because regular people know that you're supposed to dress differently for different occasions. So acting with a lack of dignity is is that's how you, that's that's how you see regular people. No. So that's my problem with this. Okay, let's go next to uh, this. Brian Stelter had his last show and. Um, signed off with a, a uh, really powerful speech. And let's just, let's just watch. His, this is Brian Sutter's last words as a CNN host. Here it is. Here's what I do know. I know it's not partisan to stand up for decency and democracy and dialogue. It's not partisan to stand up to demagogues. It's required. It's patriotic. We must make sure we don't give platforms to those who are lying to our faces. But we also must make sure we are representing the full spectrum of debate and representing what's going on in this country and in this world. That's why CNN needs to be strong. That's why I believe CNN will always be strong. You, you viewers at home, it's on you. CNN must remain strong. I know the 4,500 staffers are going to do their part to make it stronger than ever. But it's going to be on you to hold CNN accountable, and not just CNN. You gotta hold your local paper accountable. You gotta hold your local digital outlet accountable. It's on all of us. We are all members of the media, all helping to make it better. That's what I believe. I can't wait to be watching CNN, seeing what happens in the future. I'm gonna be rooting for it. I want CNN to be strong. I believe America needs CNN to be strong. I believe the free world needs CNN to be strong, and it will continue to be, because all of us are gonna help make that happen. The free world needs a reliable source. So, for reliable sources, for the last time, I'm Brian Stelter. Thanks for being with us. Oh man, that was rough. That was rough at the end there. That was rough with the with the applause at the end. It was it was already sad, and then you get the. It's better off without the applause. You got one person applauding. That's I'm going to miss this guy, Brian. I will miss him. I will miss him. May he rest in peace. Is CNN is CNN must be strong. CNN is necessary for democracy. CNN will save the world. CNN is the future of the world. I don't know for some reason watching this, and it's probably just me, but I, I was reminded of the scene from The Office where Michael Scott is giving a speech at a business school, and all the students are telling him how you know paper companies are obsolete, and he says, "No, Dunder Mifflin is the future." But you're too stupid to see that, and that's that's it. Just it reminds. It's kind of what Stelter is doing here. Like CNN is totally obsolete and irrelevant and, and nobody cares about it. And he's clinging on to it as humanity's last great hope. And he's doing that even after they just canned his ass. It's just sad. Like, first of all, you, you get fired and then they, most of the time you work for a media company, if you get fired, you're not going to be back on the air. Okay, I can guarantee you, if the Daily Wire ever fired me, they're not going to let me do one last show. They would never let me do that. That, that would be a bad decision when you fire someone and then let them, you give them access to your cameras one last time when they've got nothing to lose. But they let Stelter do it because they know he's a eunuch. They know that he's just going to, they can absolutely count on him to get up there and still talk about how great CNN is after they got rid of him. I don't know, I feel bad for him. I really do. I feel bad because he's 35, but he looks like a retired bus driver. And I feel bad for him in general. I won't even make any more potato jokes about him. I won't because it's, you know, it's not bad to look like a potato anyway. That's the other thing. I don't think it's fair. There are worse root vegetables that you could look like. Imagine if you look like a, like, look like a radish or a parsnips. That would be pretty weird. So, you know, go easy on Brian Seldon. Okay. Um, 
I want to mention this too. It says, a, uh, this is from Fox News, a private Christian school in Florida told parents ahead of the coming school year that students will only be identified by their biological sex and said that students who are found participating, quote unquote, in gay or transgender lifestyles will be asked to leave the school immediately. Uh, the email sent by Grace Christian School Administrator Barry McKean says, we believe that God created mankind in his image, male, man, and female woman, sexually different, but with equal dignity. Therefore, one's biological sex must be affirmed and no attempt should be made to physically change, alter, or disagree with one's biological gender, including but not limited to elective sex reassignment, transvestite, transgender, or non-binary gender fluid acts or conduct. Um, students in school will be referred to by the gender on their birth certificate and be referenced in, in name in the same fashion. The private Christian school is located in Florida, which is less than 20 miles outside of Tampa. Uh, and... Of course, this has sparked outrage um, among many people on the left, including some of the people in the school, and parents are pulling their, their, their kids out and all the rest of it. Meanwhile, this is, of course, a wonderful thing. It's not going to surprise you to hear me say that. This is a wonderful thing. And in fact, if you, here's what, what you need to do, okay? If you send your kid to a private Christian school, and they have not sent an email like that out, I'd be marching into the office and print out a copy of this email and say, why haven't you sent this out? Copy this email down, put it in your own words a little bit, send it out. Why haven't you? You know, if, if, if you're paying money, and in private Christian schools, most of them, uh, I certainly know this, are not cheap. And if you're paying all that money, it should be a reason behind it. And the only reason I can think of to, to, to spend so much money to send your kid to a private school instead of just sending them to public school is because not just the education, but the culture is going to be vastly different from what they get in public school. And of course, they're in Christian school, so you should expect that they are being um, introduced to and, uh, and brought up in Christian values. Although in this case, of course, what he just described in that email, that, I mean, those are Christian values, but they're also, that's, that's also just reality. It's, it's, it's biblical values, male and female, he created him, but that's also science and reality. All these things work together as they so often do. So that would be my question. If I were sending my kid to a private Christian school, have you sent an email like that out? And if you haven't, I want to know why. Except I'll... You, know, you can already assume why they haven't sent it out. It's because they have no intention of uh, enforcing Christian values in that way. And, uh, and they're perfectly happy to let the insanity of modern culture not only permeate into their Christian school environment, but, but define it, right? And what about the people who are surprised by this? Parents, again, paying money to send your kid to a Christian school, and then you're surprised when the Christian school says, hey, this is a Christian school, and we're going to operate accordingly. How can they be shocked by that? Well, it's only because we've gotten used to this idea that LGBT people have the right to just do whatever they want and to do it anywhere in any situation, that they're entitled to it, that they're entitled to living this life where people are constantly making exceptions for them. You know, talking about the, speaking of the Bible, they, they, they are entitled to be like Moses, just parting the Red Sea everywhere they go. Everywhere they go, just everything kind of parts and, and accommodates them and makes special exceptions. But that is simply not the reality. All right, one, one clip I want to play. This is from the director of the Gender Development Program in Adolescent Medicine at Lori Children's Hospital. Libs of TikTok, of course, found this and posted it. Here it is. You work with trans kids and teens, and I would love for you to share with people um, like a little window into what the process is like when a family comes to you. Um, you know, when kids realize they're trans, like what are they looking for when they meet with you? Is this a risky process for a young person? Yeah, I mean, I mean the the answer to that is largely um, no and yes. You know, so there are things that we do not know about the process, but you know, these are medical interventions that have been used for a long time now. They've been done quite safely. 
the medical interventions themselves are not rocket science. I mean, these are medications that we've used in other conditions for many years that have a really strong evidence base. And so I really want to be clear that I believe these medicines can, that can and are used safely. You know, I know for a fact that the teams that are out there that are doing this work do it with a lot of care and thought and precision. And so, yes, I mean, there is there is not a full range of evidence to support the treatments that we're using, but there is a lot of anecdotal evidence to support it. And, and the safety data that's coming out really suggests that these treatments can be used uh, both safe, safely and appropriately. Now, it's important that I play all these uh, sorts of videos as they are found and, and uh, make their way into the public light. And because it's information that you need, but also because all of these videos are going away, okay? For for the last several years, in fact, as we have discovered recently, especially, um, the people who are transing the kids have been, at least amongst each other, have been relatively open and honest about what they're doing, relatively. Now, the, the face they present to the world is not honest at all. The things they say to the world is not on, are, are not honest. Because what they'll say to the world is, oh, all the evidence, all the studies, all the evidence is there. So that's all a lie. But they have been kind of circulating in their own little worlds uh, and being pretty honest with each other. And saying things like that. That's not the only video we've seen just in the last couple of weeks. So, oh, yeah, there's, there's, we, we, we don't have the evidence for it. It's anecdote. We are going to surgically alter your child permanently based on anecdote. They've been saying this to each other because up until now, there's been no accountability. And they know that there's kind of this agreed upon, this this conspiracy of silence. Certainly on the part of the media. So they know that they can talk amongst each other. They can have their like seminars and forums and they can talk kind of openly about it. They can even have interviews that they post on YouTube. And they know that the, the media is not going to go dig these things up and tell anyone about them. So they have the things they say to each other, even ostensibly in public because they post it online. And then they've got, but then they got the things that they intend for the whole public to see. And they're very different. And they know that the media is part of the conspiracy. So the, the media is going to take that stuff on the top level, the stuff that's intended for the public, and that's all they're going to show us. But that agreement has broken down now because what these butchers and quacks are discovering is that it's not up to the mainstream media to decide what people see anymore. They used to be the only ones who decide, but not anymore. It doesn't work that way anymore. And so all those kinds of things are going away. But it's still the truth. He said it. Can't, it's like, kind of thing you can't take back. We don't have a range of evidence to support these drastic surgical interventions that we're doing to kids. Can't take that back. It's because it, it's all it's true. The evidence isn't there. All right. One other quick note here. Some science for you today before we get to the comments section. The um, the NASA the NASA exoplanet team tweeted out a video, which they say is the sound of a black hole. So for the first time, they were able to capture what a black hole sounds like. This, this, is, this is real, okay? It's not like they were... Now, it's real in a certain sense. It's, it's not like they were putting a tape recorder up to the black hole and recording what it sounds like. They use uh, computer data or something to come up with this. I don't know exactly how they do it. But here is the actual sound of what a black hole... It's like if you're getting sucked into the black hole, like Matthew McConaughey in uh, Interstellar. He ended up behind a bookcase or something somehow. Is that what happened in that film? But this is what it would happen. Yeah, he ended, he ended up behind a bookcase? He did. Okay. Anyway, well, this is what it would actually happen. This is, this is what it would sound like. Go ahead and play it. So it, so it, it sounds basically like your deepest nightmares come to life. It sounds like a portal to hell. And the, the thing I love is that NASA tweeted this out like a cool little bit of, bit of trivia. They tweeted out like, hey, check it out, gang. And then the sound is, it's the actual sound of demons screaming from the pit of hell. This is the sound that a, a possessed person hears as the evil spirit takes over. It's just the most viscerally disturbing sound. And NASA tweets it and says, hey, folks, listen to this. Neato. 
You know what that actually sounds like? This is actually the sound that I hear whenever someone tries to make small talk with me on an elevator. I don't hear the words. I just hear sheer pain and agony and despair. That's what that is. Let's get to the comment section. Daily cancellations are the law. Are you one of those people that plans a trip, but then immediately dreads the thought of travel because you get motion sick in the car, plane, train, etc.? Then you're just like me, and you've got to check out Relief Band. Relief Band is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that's been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. Relief Band stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea and then blocks the signal your brain sends to your stomach telling you that you're sick. Relief band is a band that you wear on your wrist to give you relief from nausea, just like it sounds. And you can uh, even change the intensity depending on how you're feeling to make it stronger or weaker. Plus, relief band is 100% drug-free. My favorite thing about it is that it's non-drowsy. And so you can take it. You don't have to worry about being drowsy for the rest of the day, as is the case with other anti-nausea um, effort, uh, you know, things that you might use. And they just released their newest model, which is called Relief Band Sport. The Sport is waterproof, has an extended battery life, and can even attach to your smartwatch. If you're finally taking that summer trip this year, I've got good news. Right now, you can get you can join the over 100,000 Relief Band users with an exclusive offer just for my listeners. Go to reliefband.com, use promo code Walsh, and you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping with a no-questions-asked 30-day money-back guarantee. It's better to have a relief band and not need it than to need it and not have it. So go to R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com. Use promo code Walsh for 20% off plus free shipping. So how did Matthew McConaughey end up behind the bookcase? I need to, I saw the movie one time and I, I could never remember if that's actually what happened in the movie or did I dream it or something. But okay, so he, he got sucked into a black hole and he ends up behind a bookcase. And uh, it makes no sense. That movie Interstellar, can I just say, was such a, I, I'm still mad about it. It was such a wasted opportunity. I, I've, that's, I've probably never been as excited for a film as I was for that one. And I'm still traumatized by how disappointed I was by it. Uh, because, you know, being a, a space nerd like myself, um, I, I thought, well, this is great. I, I've been waiting for a movie like this. Kind of a science-based film. They're going to other solar systems and stuff. And they're exploring different planets. But then the whole movie is spent just listening to Anne Hathaway give speeches about the power of love and how it bonds people together. She's, she's quoting like pop lyrics, the whole movie. And then it ends with the big grand finale and he ends up behind a, you know, an Ikea bookshelf. It, it's just a it, total waste of opportunity. That was a physical reality he could understand. That was a physical reality he could understand? We'll talk about it in the post show. Well, what does that mean? Well, how, so how do, you, how do you end up there because of a black hole? We'll talk about it in the member segment. Okay. You give that explanation like it's supposed to make sense. Oh, okay. Well, it's a physical reality. So if you get sucked into a black hole, then it's going to present you with a physical. So a black hole is like a genie or something. A black hole will rip you to shreds. That's what never made sense. They never explain why didn't the black hole rip you to shreds. It rips everything to shreds. It, it annihilates light itself. It annihilates everything. Except Matthew McConaughey. He's the exception. All right. Um, Crazy Scandy says, Matt Walsh saying the name Hugh Jarsol without hearing the joke is hilarious. Well, I don't know what you mean. What joke? I read a comment from Mr. Jarsol and I responded to it. I don't know why you find that funny. Make Reality Sane again says, you okay, Matt? You seem tired and a bit more fidgety than usual. I know all this stuff takes a toll on me when I'm exposed to it day after day and you're under threat constantly from the crazies. Great episode either way. Take care, brother. Praying for you. Well, I was okay until I read that comment. Now you made me feel self-conscious. Like, there's nothing worse than that when you feel perfectly fine and someone comes up to you and says, hey, man, you okay? You look tired and haggard and and unkempt more than usual. Actually, you're pretty disgusting. You doing okay? Everything cool? Well, not anymore. Thanks a lot. Uh, You jarsel. RC Tech says, Hey, Matt, perhaps you may, you uh, do not realize in your everyday duties how many people learn from you, agree, and support you in Latin America. Keep up the good work, not only for the USA, but for the West. Well, I, I do appreciate hearing that, and, you know, but I'm always shocked to learn. So you're telling me down in Latin America, so I, I, I take it from that. If, if, if like you're listening to me, then I guess you don't, you don't go for the whole Latinx, Latinx America. You're not shocking. So you, you don't appreciate it when white liberals in the United States try to, try to give you a new language you have to speak? 
on the logic that you're, the new language they're assigning to you will make trans people feel better about themselves. So you, you don't appreciate that. Really surprising. Um, uh, per Simmons says, this is the downside of homeschooling. Matt has to do the work of assigning his own children their gender rather than just waiting for the first grade teacher to decide for them. Well, it's not just gender though, right? It's a, the public school system is happy to decide everything for my child. So that's, I got to do, I got to do all, you know, you, you homeschool, you got to do it all yourself because if what the public school would love to do is just give them your child as a blank slate and they'll create whatever they want. More than happy to do it. Um, and finally, Bethany says, Matt, congratulations on the new babies. Will you run the names by the sweet baby gang so we can get a vote? It, it may just come to that. Uh, my wife and I have been going back and forth about this already, and uh, we're, we're already not seeing eye to eye. Um, for one thing, she's advocating that one of the kids be named Matthew. But I'm trying to explain to her that the ship has sailed on Junior. We can't do the Junior thing. You can't do the Junior thing with a younger son. I've got two sons. I can't leapfrog frog two sons. And then give Junior to my third son or my fourth son. Just doesn't, you're asking for all kinds of resentment and weird dynamics down the line. Plus, I have made a number of very good, very serious suggestions that she has shut down without even thinking about. I actually wrote out on Friday night, I, uh, I was with, my, with a couple of my kids and I was writing out, because all, all my kids have written out lists of the names they want. And they said, oh, daddy, you should write. So I wrote a list. And uh, I and we gave it to my wife. She wouldn't. She like wouldn't even look at it. There were some good suggestions on there. Um, Walter, Gollum, uh, Sludge is one. I thought Sludge was pretty good. Very strong, unique name for a boy. I looked at some up some uh, Egyptian pharaohs, and uh, it's like there's one. Uh, there was one called Khufu. Good name. Honestly, I don't know why my wife wants to keep having kids because this this she knows it'll go this way. This is all I will do for nine months is come up with joke names. And the gag isn't even funny anymore. It was hardly funny when I did it with the first set of twins, but I'll just keep doing it. And every conversation she'll try to have for the next nine months. It's like, seriously, can we talk about names now? And all I'm going to do is throw out fake names. And I can't, I know it's not funny, but I can't, I can't, I, I have to. It's like, I have this responsibility. I don't know why. It's a medical compulsion, I think. All right, let's get to the daily cancellation. You know, here at The Daily Wire, we're doing everything we can to loosen the left's grip on culture. We're making movies that uh, challenge woke Hollywood narratives, documentaries like What is a Woman that expose gender ideology. We're creating kids' content parents can trust. We even sued the government over unconstitutional mandates. We're doing a lot of stuff, and it's a lot of work, and there's still a long way to go. But you can help. In just two simple steps, you can do this. These, these are the steps. One, stop shaving with your woke razor. Two, start shaving with Jeremy's razor. Hold up razor. Oh, <clears throat> this is seamless. Don't cut any of this. Keep this all in. We need all this. We need the whole experience. Oh, it's still, okay. So I wasn't told I have to use a prop and every, it's like over here, it's in a bo- bag, it's in a box. So we're just gonna, we're just gonna oh, and the, and the razor isn't even, it's not, it's not even assembled. So we're gonna have to assemble it too. Live on camera. Don't cut, this is all staying in. I'm telling you right now. There we go. And the other thing is, I don't even really use razors, except for Jeremy's razors. So I'm just, I'm getting used to just the process. How do you get this thing on? Okay. Oh, here we go. Good. You can help the Daily Wire by shaving with Jeremy's razors. If you're still not shaving with Jeremy's razors, chances are you're funding the left. We're building alternatives, and the left is betting their bottom billion dollars that you won't use these alternatives. Prove them wrong. Go to jeremysrazors.com. Get your Founder Series Shave Kit today. Daily Wire Plus members get 25% off as well. Jeremy's Razors, shut up and shave. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Well, our culture's most popular pastime, as we know, is complaining, especially about stress. You know, the idea of stress, as we know it today, wasn't invented in the English language until the 1930s. Before that, it's fair to say that nobody ever complained about their stress because the concept didn't really exist. That's not to say that people didn't feel stress or didn't lead stressful lives. It's just to say that, that, they, that they simply lived those lives and dealt with the strain without feeling the need to put a label on it and talk about it incessantly. These days, though by most measures we have easier lives, we love nothing more than to talk about our difficulties. We're so burned out. We have so much anxiety, so much stress. Everything is so hard. 
And we need to talk about this to our friends, our families, to strangers on the internet, to counselors and therapists. I mean, we've got armies of people we've set up to just complain to them about how hard our lives are. We have to vomit our feelings of being overburdened onto everyone, everywhere, all the time. This is, without question, the modern world's favorite hobby. Now, our second favorite hobby is to come up with trendy new labels for common human experiences. So we like to take things that people have always done, or always felt, or always said, and invent a term to describe it, so that we can pretend that this universal experience is somehow novel. So for example, um, recently I came across the term flexitarian to describe people who eat both vegetables and meat. This is a diet strategy shared by 99% of the human civilization since the dawn of civilization, but now the flexitarian can pretend that he's reinvented the wheel by giving this exceedingly normal thing a brand new name. In fact, I'm surprised we haven't come up with a new name for wheels so that we can pretend that we actually did reinvent them. Maybe we'll get around to that eventually as we seem to specialize in the art of inventing things that were already invented. But what happens when these two popular pastimes are combined? What if we could whine about our stressful lives while also inventing a new label for something people have always done? What if we could do both? That would be the modern uh, dream. That's the holy grail. And that's what brings us to the hot new trend called quiet quitting. Now, the media tells us that quiet quitting is a revolutionary concept, quickly gaining traction in society, and especially in the workplace. Uh, The headlines are, are full of references to this practice. Here are some samples of the headlines. Quiet quitting is a trend taking over TikTok and your workplace. Everyone is talking about quiet quitting, but is it a good idea? Three millennials on their experience of quiet quitting. What is quiet quitting and why are employees doing it? An explainer. The Washington Post provides more details. It says, quiet quitting is taking social media by storm, but you might not have noticed. The term is a bit of a misnomer because quiet quitters aren't walking away from their jobs. Instead, they're renouncing hustle culture, Quitting the idea of going above and beyond at work, as TikTok user Zaid Lepin, oh, I saw, it. I see what he did there, uh, said in a July post that has uh, amassed more than three million views and helped popularize the phrase. The trend is resonating strongly with those Gen Z and millennial not, uh, workers fighting to rewrite the rules of the workplace. Signs of quiet quitting look like classic indicators of diminished motivation and low engagement, according to Joe Grasso, senior de- uh, director of workplace transformation at Lyra Health. That might be decreased productivity or withdrawing from the team, limiting communication and interaction to only what's required, Grasso said. It could manifest as employee cynicism or apathy about work or staying silent rather than sharing input. Now, the article goes on to explain that quiet quitting is the result of, quote, unprecedented employee burnout. People are feeling more burned out and overworked than ever before, allegedly. And this has led to the quiet quitting trend wherein employees, in defiance of something called hustle culture, decide to go to work but put in less effort. They'll do only the bare minimum and no more. They'll work, but they won't work hard. As mentioned, this is a major topic of conversation on TikTok, especially where people are too burned out to do their jobs, but not too burned out to record TikTok videos talking about how burned out they are. So here's one viral TikTok video uh, giving more details about this revolutionary new concept. Everybody's talking about quiet quitting and how it's the new negative talent crisis. I think it's a good thing. The youngest generations at work are rejecting the idea of hustle culture or framing your entire life around some dream job. They're rejecting putting their mental health below their performance goals. With quiet quitting, you're doing what you're paid for and not more. And it's about setting boundaries around what you're willing to do. If the inflation rate is 8.5% and you get a 1% raise, what do employers expect? I see this as a healthy evolution that can actually equalize the employee-employer relationship more. Do you think quiet quitting is a good thing? Let me know. Okay. So a few points here. First of all, doing the bare minimum at work is not some unique, quirky, new approach to life. We don't need a label for it. We already had a label. It's called lazy. And lazy people have always existed. In fact, they made a movie called Office Space over 20 years ago about exactly this idea. I think this is my second Office Space reference in as many shows. Uh, The protagonist feels drained by his soul-sucking office job and decides to stop trying. And hilarity ensues. 
But Office Space didn't invent anything either. In fact, what makes the movie funny is that it's relatable. Everybody knows what it's like to be fed up with your job, you know, and, and to be fed up with other various mundane aspects of your life. Everybody has fantasized about adopting an I don't give a damn attitude. Everyone has especially fantasized about smashing office appliances with a baseball bat, as they do in that film. The point is that millennials and Gen Z aren't sparking a revolution here. They're experiencing laziness. The only difference is that they're narcissistic enough to think they invented it. Second, um, if, if, if you want to do the bare minimum, that's fine, okay? That's, uh, that's mediocrity. And if you want to live a mediocre life, you're welcome to it. Many people before you have chosen that path, and many people after you will do the same. That's why it's mediocrity. Just, just don't pretend that you're putting in less of an effort at your job so that you can invest more of your time into more enriching pursuits and passions. Now, that may be what a very small fraction of the quiet quitters do, but it's not how it works for the vast majority. As we discussed last week, most people who give themselves more free time end up spending all of that extra spare time staring at their phones or watching Netflix. Now, if you're actually going to take all the free time, take all the extra energy you have now because you are quiet quitting and go climb Mount Everest or start a side business or even like take painting classes or something, then, then okay, you are reinvesting your time and energy into another uh, pursuit that to you is more worthwhile. But that is just simply not what most people do or are going to do. And we should be honest about that. And you should be honest with yourself. And if, if you're doing the bare minimum at work, refusing to go above and beyond and not pursuing anything else notable with your life, then you will be unsuccessful and again, mediocre. That's who you're going to be. That's what your life is going to be. You will not flourish financially or in any other way. You're going to leave little mark on the world you'll achieve nothing of note. That is going to be your life. Now, the luxury of the modern world does provide people with the unprecedented option of coasting by on the bare minimum if they want, expending very little energy. This was not a lifestyle available to most people for most of history. Now it is available. You can take advantage of that opportunity, and you can if you want, but it does come with a price. Nothing is free. Even laziness is not free, especially laziness is not free. Not in this life. Being lazy will extract a payment from you, whether you like it or not. And what you are giving up in exchange for ease of life is any chance of doing anything notable, interesting, or great with your life. Because the notable, interesting, and great things are done by people who give more of themselves than is required. Great lives are led by those who look for ways to give more, not less. This is also true just, just you know, in the microcosm of the workplace. For the most part, the people who succeed okay, are the ones who are giving, giving more. So you're just doing exactly what you need to. The guy next to you is doing a lot more than he needs to. He's probably going to be more successful than you. And then when he is, you're going to whine about it and say, oh, it's not fair. This isn't fair. Actually, it's totally fair. Now, it's possible that there could be someone who's awarded with success even though they didn't earn it and you did. These, that kind of unfairness really does happen. But, but probably that's not the case. Probably that's a story you're telling yourself to make yourself feel better. Probably that person earned it, and you didn't. And in general, the great people are the ones who do hard things, not the ones who avoid hard things. That's a fact of life. It will never change. So all I'm asking, you want to be a quiet quitter, fine. Don't come around later complaining about your lack of success. Don't become envious of the people more successful than you. You wanted to quiet quit. Okay, you wanted to put in less effort, you aimed low, and you got what you wanted. You have no right to resent people who aimed higher than you. Third and final point, related to the first two points. I am not suggesting that you should stay forever in a job you hate, pouring yourself into it year after miserable year. If you, if you hate your job and you feel unfulfilled by it, um, if, if you feel that it's not making use of your talents, if you think it's a dead end, etc., then go chase something better. If, if you just don't want to work at all, then you're a lazy, overgrown child. And as long as you maintain that attitude, you're destined, as previously discussed, to be a mediocre failure and a disgrace and an embarrassment to your family and everyone who knows you. But if you're willing to work and yet you feel that your work right now is wasted or futile or pointless, then go and pursue a new opportunity. 
And yeah, you can make excuses. Oh, I can't do that. I can't do it for all these. You can make excuses all you want. I can't do it. It's a risk. If I do that, if I do that, it won't work out. If I got to get this, I have a family. Those are, those are excuses. And I mean, they're, they might even be valid. But once again, the people who do great things are not focused on the excuses or they act in spite of them. Staying at your job and trying to do the bare minimum is the coward's way out. That's what the guy in office space discovered. By the end of the film, he had left the office world completely, found happiness as a construction worker. He found work that was meaningful to him. And that's what you should do. Because that's professional success, right? There isn't a certain salary you have to reach in order to be successful professionally. What matters is whether you're doing work that is meaningful to you and which utilizes your talents, skills, and efforts. That's success. And it's a lot better than being a lazy bum, also known as a quiet quitter. And that's why quiet quitting as a concept, and especially also just as a label, is canceled today. And that'll do it for this portion of the show. As we move on to uh, the special members section of the show, we'll see you over there. And uh, if not, Godspeed.